in life and the difficulties of life, I have tended to categorize them three ways. I've tended to categorize them as storms that happen to all of us, an earthquake, a tornado, a hurricane. Something happens that really, you know, whose fault was it? It's just part of being a part of this sinful world. So there are storms in life that happen that it feels like we just happen to us. Old age happens to us. It's a storm. There are things that happen to us, and as we go through it, you know, in, in some cases, it ends up in a shipwreck. And today, we're going to look at a storm that ends up in a shipwreck. One way I think about them is storms that happen to all of us. Another is a storm that's happening because it's our fault. We caused this storm. We were a big part of this storm. Our sin led to this. I think of broken marriages, and I think of broken families. And oftentimes, we are part of the problem. And this storm that we're going through is maybe partly our fault or maybe mostly our fault. And how are we to think about that? When I think about that storm that we go through that is, you know, not my fault and it just happened, where is God in that storm? Well, I tend to think that God is maybe more in that storm, or at least I have in the past. Then there's the storm that I caused. And part of me feels like, okay, I got on this road and I'm stuck. I'm tempted to think that I have to right the ship before God's going to get back on board. And then there's the storm that's caused by someone else. And it hits us, and it hits us hard. A storm by maybe a family member causes shipwreck. Maybe it's business and someone in your business has been stealing funds or not doing their job and the business is turning down and you're losing. And there are times when I feel when that storm is coming, I confess that I get angry. I get frustrated. I feel like humanly I need to right this ship. This storm is wrong. Where is God in the storms? Does he categorize storms those three ways? Or is it just me? Today we're going to look at a storm that turns into a shipwreck and we're picking it up as they're driving towards the land. But Paul is on this boat and he warned them before they left Don't go, because it's going to end badly. And they ignored him. They ignored him. And let's be honest, haven't we all ignored good counsel and gone on headlong into shipwreck? In Acts 27, 27 to 44, we see Paul on a boat being thrust around the Mediterranean Sea and clinging on to his life. So if you turn with me to Acts 27, 27 to 44, we're going to see that what our purpose in this storm could be and should be, and that God is in the storm with us. Acts 27, 27 to 44. 
When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes from the ship's boat and let it go. We are in the storm to save others. We're in the storm to save others. Now, which storm? All three of them. As followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we have a job to do whether we're the problem or someone else is the problem or life itself is the problem. Our job is to be on board about the business of saving. And we see that in Paul's heart as he's talking to these folks. First, it starts out on the 14th night had come as we were driven across the Adriatic Sea. Now, I have a map up here that I want you to see. And Paul had been in prison in Caesarea, and then he took a boat up to Myra and down to Crete. And he's landed here, and they have been fighting the winds the whole way. They have been struggling. It seems like everything has been against them on this trip, on this trip so far. And as they land here in Fairhaven and they're waiting, Paul tells them, don't go any farther. God is not going to bless the journey any farther. This will end badly if you choose to go farther. And there's a centurion on board, and then there's the ship's captain on board and those people who who are running the ship. And they have a discussion, and they agree together that we're going to leave and just get around the corner and get to Phoenix. There's a better harbor there. We'd rather hang there. Maybe there's better pubs. Who knows what the reason is? They feel like this is a better spot to camp. They disregard what Paul says, and they leave Crete, and when they get around this horn right there, hurricane winds set in. Hurricane winds set in and drive them out to sea. Now, I want you to picture how this felt. Uh, We have boats today that go out into the ocean. And if we're going to do a transit land, I mean, I've been on cruises. Those cruises are like cities on the water. This is a wooden boat. This is a wooden boat that holds a couple hundred people. 300 people, maybe. It is a small boat. It is a boat that... Um, honestly, if you told me that we were going to go out on the seas with a boat like that, I, I, I got a chance to read something about my ancestors that came from Norway in the late 1800s and the early 1900s and how they would get on a wooden boat and they would leave Norway and they had a barrel where they kept all of their goods and any food they were going to eat had to be in that barrel along with all of their possessions. You get a person and a barrel or a family in a barrel. That's what you get. And they would cook on the, the 
the top of the ship when it wasn't raining. On a wooden boat, they have open fires. I don't know how they did it. I'd like to think they did it well. If there wasn't winds, it might be three or four extra weeks for them to make it to America. And they had to figure out how to make it work. This is technology that is way beyond the technology that we're talking about here. When the hurricane winds hit them and send them out into the Mediterranean Sea, they are afraid for their lives. This boat is being tossed like nothing we've ever experienced. If you're underneath, everything's being shifted back and forth the whole time. When this passage says, when the 14th night had come, this is the 14th night of the storm. How long have you been in your storm? How long has your world been turned as it feels like no one's in control? Where is God for these 14 nights? As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, they were being driven this direction. And they were actually, when he talks about across the Adriatic Sea, he's saying this, this line. They didn't actually go up in here, or they would have been able to probably get to shore. They're afraid of hitting this right down here. Right up above here is shallows with a kind of a quicksand thing that they're afraid of hitting. So they're driven across that for 14 days. Now they're coming up. They're right at this point right now in the story. It's been 14 days. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. How did they suspect they were nearing land? It's night, it's midnight, they can't see, it's a storm, so there aren't stars, so they can get any, they have no idea where they are. And they're at midnight, they're suspecting that they're nearing land, probably the tide has changed or the surf has changed, and being used to surf, they are seeing that something's happening, so they put down a rope and take a sounding. And what that means is they have a rock attached to a rope and they lower that until it hits ground. And when it hits ground, they know how shallow it is. The first sounding they take is 20 fathoms or 120 feet, five times the height of our ceiling here. So right now it feels like they're pretty safe still. This is not a big boat. What they're afraid of is that it's getting shallower. So they, a little farther on, they take a sounding again, and they find it's 15 fathoms. Now they're getting scared. It's 90 feet now. That means they are driving towards land, and they have no idea. They cannot see it. The wind and the storm is driving them. They're not choosing where they're going. It's happening to them. Where is God when things seem to be just happening to us and we're being bombarded? Have you felt that? Have you been in the storm? So having hit 15 fathoms in verse 29, fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. It's interesting to me that these non-God-fearing sailors who didn't listen to Paul in the first place 
and trust God in the first place, they set sail thinking our wisdom is better than God. And they set sail, and now they're praying to God that day will come. Isn't this what God does in storms? Bring us to our knees? Bring our friends and our family to a place where maybe they'll trust God? Where is God in the storm? God is saving people. Why didn't God just sink the boat right there and be done? Because God's not done with the sailors and with the people on this boat. He's continuing to fight for them. God is in the storm. One of the things that we need to correct in in my thinking and maybe in yours is that there is very little difference in how we respond. If we started the storm or if the storm just happened or if someone else started the storm, the reality, our reaction is the same, is to trust that God is sovereign. Do you know what that means? That means that God being powerful and good, and now I'm going to say something that is beyond my understanding, is able to work in the context of our sinful world without getting his hands dirty, and he writes a good story and continues to maintain control. Doesn't mean we're in control. Doesn't mean we understand. I'm saying that God continues to be good and continues to save and continues to bring about his good purposes in all of our storms. And the invitation is, will you go through this storm with me? Who is the invitation to? To the sailors, to the centurion, to the soldiers, to the passengers, and to Paul. Paul trusted that God was in the storm that God had good purposes had not ended in Crete. In verse 30, we see the sailors doing what people do. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the boat. They were pretending they were laying out the four anchors and they took the boat off of the off of the ship and set it down and they were going to get on that lifeboat and thought, at least we're going to live. So they are the guys that are responsible for taking care of the ship and they are abandoning ship and leaving everybody to die. That's their plan. Their plan is to take off and honestly, all they have for hope is this dude named Paul is saying that they're going to be safe, they're going to make it. That's what he promised them. He said that God had answered Paul's prayers and given him what he asked for and everyone was going to be saved. So the sailors lowered the boat and if you see in um, Acts 27, 9 to 12, if you were to look back at that, that's where Paul said in verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also our lives. You're on the brinking of making a decision to leave Crete, and it's going to cost you everything. In chapter 27, having made the decision, verses 21 to 26, the storm has started. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, 
Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Why are we on the boat in the storm? Why doesn't God just take us home and end this ride? He's left us here to save people, to be part of this salvation story. He's left us to join Christ in what he was doing. Paul was given the privilege of drawing near to people when they were at their lowest point possibly of their life and the deepest fear they'd ever faced. And Paul is there praying for them, and God says, because you interceded for them. Reminds me of Moses praying for the Israelites. God invites us to intercede on behalf of those who are going through storms and who are going through storms with us. We are supposed to be here representing God. Does it make a difference if we started the storm or someone else started the storm or it's just a storm that happened to us? I think not. I think the same answer is we draw close to Christ and become his advocate in this storm. This is our job. It doesn't change. We are in the storm to save others. And it's remarkable that Paul, I mean, think about what Paul could have said at this point when these guys are dropping the, the boat. He could have said, well, you let them go. These are the idiots that had me go through this for 14 days. They didn't listen to me in the first place. No, Paul tries to save them. Do you not know you're in this world to fight for your neighbors even when your neighbors aren't godly? Don't you know that you're in this world to fight for your workmates even when your workmates aren't godly? Obviously, they're not godly. They don't know God necessarily. We're here with a purpose. And we're in the storm with a purpose. We are in the storm to save others. Paul said to the centurion, now this is the same guy that he spoke to when he said, don't go, and he went. So this centurion already disregarded what Paul said. Paul said to the centurion to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. That's an interesting comment. If these Sailors, don't stay on board. You, Roman soldiers, aren't going to live. Why would God say that? Why would God judge the soldiers if the sailors don't stay? Because at this point, right now, in this moment, they have a choice to make. Are you going to trust God or not? And isn't that the question in all of our storms? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust that he's still good, that he's still sovereign, that he's in control, and here's a centurion who doesn't know God, who didn't trust God at the beginning, and his life is hanging in the balance. And Paul is saying, if you don't use your authority to trust God with this, you're not going to make it. We're here to represent God in other people's stories while they're going through the storm. We're on ships 
We're in families. We're in a generation. And our job here is to fight for the salvation of the people around us. Not to say, well, they deserve it. Good luck to you when you meet God. Paul's heart is the heart of Christ. To love even when he hasn't been loved. And this is what we're called to be. Verse 32, Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Now I think they probably could have pulled that boat back on top. <laughs> Made it a little easier for them later, but they so trusted God that they cut the boat free. We were in the storm to save others. We were in the storm to encourage others. Look at verse 33. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. So it's the 14th day. Day has dawned and they've continued in suspense. Their adrenaline has been rushing for 14 days. I can't even imagine how exhausted they are. When they tried to sleep and the boat tossed them around like, like they were little tiny dolls and being shaken up. They're being tossed around. How can you sleep? It says that some hadn't taken food. I don't know which ones hadn't taken food. Maybe some of the sailors said, we need to keep this for the people that are working, and they had thrown off most of what they had. But here they are for 14 days in suspense, without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, and not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. I urge you to take some food, and it will give you strength. Paul is worried about how they're feeling. Paul is worried about how they're surviving. Paul is worried for their daily bread. And I think this has been a part of church ever since. Welfare system, from my perspective, started and was most it's done the best when it was done in the context of church, where the church cared for those who needed food. I look at our care team and I am amazed at all they do and how they care, whether it's cards or food or clothes or kindnesses. Why do we care when there's this big picture of you're going to meet God one day? Why are we worried about food? Why are we worried about comfort? Why are we worried about anxiety? Because the heart of God cares for us and nurtures us and puts us under his wing. And the reality is, as his servants, we are sent to do that for others. So imagine being in a family, a family that maybe the storm that's happening in your family started having nothing to do with you. And your job is to speak peace, to speak kindness, to be joyful. This encouragement is not a small thing. It comes from the very heart of God. He wants us to enjoy the world that he created. He created this world with unbelievable beauty for us to enjoy. He provided for us. 
We encourage us to ask for our daily bread. His good and sovereign plan includes in it an encouragement to our hearts, the very presence of the Holy Spirit with us, and our job is to be that for other people. Why are you here? Why are you in the storm? It is not just to lick your wounds and to sulk and complain. You need to get up and look around and see who's suffering and encourage them. And what if you started it? Look around, get up, encourage those who are suffering. He urges them to take some food. Verse 35, and when he had said these things, they took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all who broke it and began to eat. I picture at this point, no longer does anyone have a problem with him praying in front of everybody. At this point, he's okay to stand up and say, God, thank you for the food that you've provided for us and what you're about to do. Everybody, whether they're believers in God or not believers in God, is, I'm with Paul and the God that he serves. All of my eggs are in that basket. What is the mercy of the storm? Is they got the chance to see under pressure the encouragement and the salvation of God. Don't you know that's why we're here? Don't you know that people around us are suffering and going through storms where their lives are absolutely torn apart? We should care because God cares. We're in the storm to encourage others. Verse 36, when they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves, we were in all 276 persons on the ship. So they all came together for a meal, giving thanks to God. Can you picture it? And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. How's that for trusting God? There's the rest of the food. We need to lighten the load. We're in the storm to save others. We're in the storm to encourage others. We're in the storm to redeem others. Look at verse 39. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. Would you put the map up one more time for me? So Malta is two islands. The bigger one has now a town a region called St. Paul's Bay. And they've determined that was the bay that they saw. But probably it was south of that bay. And as the ship is coming up to this, this is, a, this is not where they intended to go. But God, in his providence, look at all the water. God, in his providence, has pointed him right there. And in the dark, brought him into safety. Not comfort yet. It's going to get a little dicey. It's not an easy landing. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and, let them in, and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, they hoisted the foresail to the wind. They made for the beach. So they bring the sail up. 
and they get rid of the anchors. We're done now. This, we don't hit land. It's over. They take off the, they, they lose the anchors. They've gotten rid of the wheat. They've lightened the boat as much as they can, and they are aiming for the beach. In verse 41, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. And the front of the boat, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. This wooden boat has taken all it can take. It was driven onto the reef. It is not close enough. Now, of this 276, I don't know how many can't swim, but I would say most. Swimming wasn't a thing people learned then. The sea was equated with death. You go into it, you die. People didn't go swimming through the sea. Some can swim, some can't. It is now starting to break apart. And the fear and the anxiety hits. In verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. This is the Roman answer here. The Roman answer is that if your prisoner goes free, it's your life that you pay with. That's the Roman rule. Their life was at risk. They might make it safely, but if their prisoner makes it safely, safely and runs away and makes it away, you're dying anyway. So because of this, they have the plan, we're going to kill all the prisoners. Better to kill the prisoners. Better to kill the prisoners than to have their lives suspect. This is all they could do. Maybe this was a game plan that was worked up by their superiors. If you're in a position where you cannot get your prisoners to Rome, kill them. So this is their plan, but the problem with this plan is they're worried about Roman law and they're worried about Roman rule and they're worried about the storm that will come and the the authority that's in Caesar that they're going to have to answer to, But there's another authority that they have to answer to, and that's God. And there's another storm that's coming when they're going to stand before God and give an answer for what they did. And it might stand up in the court of Roman law, but it is not going to stand up in God's law that you killed a bunch of people because you were afraid for your own life. And Paul, just being part of this story, raises the bar and redeems the story. In verse 43, but the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The centurion takes his own life in his hands. And in order to save Paul, and because Paul is part of this story, all of those prisoners' lives are saved. And all of those soldiers don't have to answer to God for killing those those prisoners. Paul redeems. That's our job. Our job is not simply to get someone to say a prayer that they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Our job is to be part of this story and to redeem the story at every turn where we can, where we fight for people, where we encourage people, where we talk about a salvation. But God's story is redemptive. God's story is encouraging. God's plan, his sovereign plan, is to save. Save. 
And we're here as part of that plan, his servants. Why are you in that storm? Well, you're in that storm to redeem others. I remember being with a friend who was considering on doing something that was very wrong, but from his limited perspective, he thought it was right. And I'm not going to describe what it was. I don't want to give away the story, but it was a heinous mistake that would have caused a lifetime of problems. And a night of prayer and a night of conversation kept him from that decision. Are you redeeming people's lives? Do you care that there are shipwrecks coming from people around you? If not, pray for God's heart to see the people around you who are suffering and who are dying. Verse 43 at the second half, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. The ship is falling apart, and people are getting off of it as it's falling apart. Those who can swim first, make for land. Those who can't find a board, get on it, and let the tide bring you in. Remember, it's still a storm, or they'd have been able to land it on the beach. The storm is still happening and pushing them. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Why were all brought safely to land? Because Paul prayed, because Paul spoke, because Paul encouraged, because Paul was on mission with his heavenly Father who sovereignly was trying to do these things on that boat. That's our job. What do the storms of life look like? Well, the reality is my three compartments don't work. The reason my three compartments don't work is because we are, I am a sinner and I am always part of the problem. There is no storm that I haven't had some part in. Whether it's globally because I'm a sinner. We like to have somebody in the family say it was their fault that the family broke apart, but the reality is, come on, aren't we all part of the problem? Haven't we all caused shipwreck? Our job today is to trust God's goodness and his power. You might feel like this is out of control and nothing can make sense of this. God can and God will if you trust him. Why 14 days? It's 14 days because God, in his mercy, gave them 14 days to decide if they were going to trust him. How many of those will be saved eternally? I don't know. I'll bet you all of them, all 270 plus, are more likely to trust Jesus Christ at the end of this trip than ever before. God's 
goodness is in the storm. I would not willingly get on a wooden boat in the Mediterranean in October. I would not choose it. I can't imagine people who white-knuckled those things. I can't imagine what it would be like. I think I would have been sick all 14 days. I'm not prone to know the sea. I get queasy when I'm on a, on a, a ship that's huge and it does this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Better not eat something right away. But the reality is all of us have known storms. And all of us have been thrown. And God is writing a saving, encouraging, redemptive story in your storm. If you'll trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't understand how you interact with this world in such an intimate way without getting your hands dirty. I don't know how your goodness stays pure and yet you take our sinful stories and sovereignly accomplish your good ends bringing people to a decision about you. I pray today that we who are your children, those who have placed their trust in you, I pray that we would choose today to trust you in the storm. And for those who don't know you, Father, I pray that they would trust you for the first time. And that they could say, just as we sung earlier, that it is well with their souls on the day that they meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.